One of the last things that Jesus taught his uh, disciples um, was, I think it would have been new, at least in this language, and that is that, that after Jesus, that there would be another, that there would be an advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who would come and be with the disciples and help them to learn, help them to grow, help them to make sense uh, of how to put all of the pieces together. And I want to share that with you because particularly when it comes to reading scripture uh, and today, we don't read scripture alone. We may think that we do, but we never read scripture alone. Anytime we open our Bibles, anytime we begin to read these stories as people struggled with faith to make, make sense of their life, that the Holy Spirit is a part of that reading. The Holy Spirit is always a part of that engagement. I say that to you because um, you may have noticed the last few weeks that after I have finished reading scripture, rather than saying kind of the traditional, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word, which is kind of like the traditional piece, um, I do something a little different. A few years ago, I was, was gifted with um, a different response, a different prompt after reading scripture, which really seems to make more sense. And that is, when scripture is read, the prompt is, let the church hear and hear what the Spirit is saying. Even in this moment, in, script, or in worship, as we're reading scripture, the Spirit is a part of this. So it's natural that we, that we say that. Well then, okay, what do we do with that? When somebody, when remember when your parents were telling you, did you hear what I said? And what did you say? Well, maybe you told the truth and said, oh yeah, I heard every single word of what you said. So it's, but it's within that idea that our response, when, when, when I say, let the church hear what the Spirit is saying, your response then would be, we are listening. And it's a way of, at this moment, as we're, we're centering into why we're here today specifically, to open our hearts and our minds and our lives to what God is, is bringing into our life and our awareness, it's good to remember that we are here and we need to be listening. So our scripture this morning comes to us from Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 4 and going through verse 20. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise up from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed out of the ground of the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life also in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon. 
It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flows from the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you do eat of it you shall die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. Friends, let the church hear what the Spirit is saying. We are, we are listening. There it is. Let's try it again. Let the church hear what... Oh, go ahead and go back one. Just go ahead and click back one. There we go. Let the church hear what the Spirit is saying. We are listening. Friends, I would invite you to pray with me. Go ahead and click the next one. There we go. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Wouldn't it be nice if scapegoating actually worked? You know what scapegoating is? We think that maybe scapegoating is a, is a modern invention Scapegoating has been around, just so you know, for 5,000 years that we know about. Now, for our tradition um, within the Judeo-Christian uh, framework, we know scapegoating probably from, our, from the book of Leviticus. Scapegoating was a practice that began while the Israelites were still wandering through uh, the desert on their way to the Promised Land. Scapegoating was a way... And this was Aaron, and remember Moses' brother Aaron, who was the priest. Aaron would lead this ritualistic um, exercise in which all of Israel, and now granted, there were a whole bunch of them at the time, that all of Israel would gather and all of the sins of all of the people of Israel would be heaped upon the head of this goat. And then the goat would be sent out into the wilderness to presumably do whatever it is goats do when they're on their own in the wilderness, probably die, okay? That's, that was scapegoating. That one goat, that one animal would bear the sins of the whole community. Wouldn't that be nice if that actually worked? All of our fears... All of our insecurities, all of our hurts, all of our misunderstandings, all of our angers, all of, all of that stuff that sometimes we just don't know what to do with, 
Wouldn't it be nice if we could just get rid of it, offload it, as the expression goes, offload it on this goat and send the goat out? Wouldn't we feel better? Hmm? Wouldn't we feel better if we could just unburden ourselves in that way, if it were actually, truly that easy? Well, we know it's not. That the scapegoating from the, 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 the ritualistic um, understanding that we have in the book of Leviticus, uh, we know that it just doesn't quite work that way. And yet it's amazing how much of the world around us today seems to think that scapegoating actually does work. How many conspiracy theories do you see promulgated throughout the community that will, that will proclaim the ills of society, the terrible, terrible ills of society, disease, okay? COVID, just as an example, all of the scapegoating that happened um, with Chinese uh, immigrants, with Asian Americans generally, because after all, it was their fault that the rest of us got sick. Or conspiracy theories are, uh, that abound around anti-Semitism, that all of the ills of the world can be scapegoated onto Jewish bankers. Anytime Jewish bankers, that's, that's, that's a dog whistle. But that's, that's scapegoating. We do that today. We do it around ethnicity. We do it around race. We do it around socioeconomic status. We do it around immigration status. We do it uh, around issues of human sexuality and gender identity. We do scapegoating still really, really well. And it's not nearly as pure as the idea that we see out of the book of Leviticus. We still have this fear. And I say we because to one extent or another, the whole of the human community wrestles with this. There's not a one of us that is completely immune to the fears that bubble up around difference, the fears that bubble up around diversity. So where do we go with this? Why? How do we deal with the, the things that we recognize ail us individually and collectively as a society? And I think that, that one, of the, one of the ways that we can unpack this is that much of this fear is rooted in forgetting who we are and, root, and, and forgetting where we fit within the cosmos where we fit within creation. And that's, I think that that's one of the values of this text. Now, uh, when, you, when you deal with Genesis text, particularly the first 11 chapters, it gets really hard because there are trends, and there have already, always been trends within the community of faith that wants to treat Genesis 1 through 11 as science. And most of us who have gone to school and understood science and understood evolution and understood these things, we know that it's not science. And in, in, in some circles, then because it's, it's just this thing we don't know what to do with, we just toss it out. But there are two important facts 
from this story, this, and Todd was, was great in pointing this out, the second creation story. There are two important facts in this that can help us with, deal with this issue that we're talking about today. The first is that God created. The science of it, the details of it, the mechanics of it, we, we understand how creation works. But the idea, the first fundamental fact is that God sits at the core of all that activity. God creates. God brings life. God sustains. God provided the, the mechanisms by which we can eat and wash and be healthy and be clean. All of that is woven into the fabric of creation. And God sits at the core of that. Okay? Fact number one. Fact number two, we have a place in that order. And knowing what our place is and understanding our place relative to God, relative to one another, relative to the rest of creation is really very important. We are created. We are not God we may sit at the top of the food chain, but we are still part of the food chain. Okay? We are part of this order. And the second piece of that is that we have a responsibility to one another. We're not created as individuals, you know, king of our own castle. We are created to be in community. And one of the pieces that gets missed, you know, Adam, we say, oh, Adam was a man. Okay, we'll, we'll stipulate to that, okay? But the name Adam isn't just a name. Adam in Hebrew means humanity. God, when God created Adam, God creates humanity. And then as we get into this, we, you know, and getting, getting past the, the, the arguments around, around gender and other kinds of things that muddy the water... We recognize within this text that, that, that for humanity, there is a partnership. That we, as individual people, we need helpers. We need one another to do the thing that we were created to do, which is care for God's creation, which is not just the environment piece, but we are called to care for the, all the other parts of creation, which are the people that we sit next to, drive next to, work next to, shop next to, worship next to, the whole of the human community. We have a responsibility, a stewardship responsibility to care for and till God's garden of which we are a part. Okay? So the idea of scapegoating, the idea of creating the kinds of things that marginalize and dehumanize other people, we are not holding up our end of the bargain. If we, fall, if we allow ourselves to fall prey to that kind of scapegoating, we're not, we're not living up to what God created us to do and to be, which is to care for one another in all of our, in all of our failings and all of our hurts and all of our hopes. You with me so far? And around this, remembering who we are, 
is a choice. And the choice comes to this thorny issue of the two trees, of all of the different trees, including the Granny Smith apple trees, if you were here last week, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life is a, is a deep and rich scriptural image that is not only something that happens in the creation stories, but it goes all the way into the book of Revelation. It, it is bookended within our, within our faith tradition, the tree of life that is, that is the source of God's sustenance. It is an image, and it is a rich image that reminds us that it is, it is watered and nurtured by God's own presence. Do we choose the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden still right there? And this tree bears fruit, but that tree, I think, bears bitter fruit. It is from that tree that fear, suspicion, anger, they emerge. And fear is, fear is the killer. Fear is the killer in this. For those of you who are Star Wars fans, okay, what led Anakin Skywalker on the path to the dark side was the fear and the uncertainty that he experienced in his own life and that fear of losing people that he loved, first his mother and then his wife. That fear became so all-consuming for him that he became vulnerable. He became susceptible to the lies that, that helped him feel better. When Palpatine says, I can show you a way, that the people that you love will never die. Oh, he's lying to him. And that, 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 that archetypal kind of lie gets, gets propagated all throughout our community. And a lot of the times we, we look at that lie and we go, you're lying, and you, and you just walk away. But if that one particular lie tends to burrow in by way of something that we are fearful about, then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil takes root and begins to bear this bitter fruit in our lives. And we forget. We forget who we are, and we forget who we are called to be. We are called then in... We can't, we can't really avoid the knowledge of, the, uh, knowledge of good and evil. It's, it's baked into the cake. But we can, show, we can choose which tree we will allow to nourish us. Both Moses and Joshua, in their closing addresses to the people of Israel, put this choice before them. Choose today whom you will serve. Choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my family... We will choose to serve the Lord. And that is the choice that's before us in this text. That's the choice that's before us when we, when we wrestle with the things that ail us, our own fears. Will we persist in 
forgetting who we are or will we stop and choose life and choose to take our place as humanity within the order of creation that, that's always the choice the gospel reminds us the life of Jesus exemplifies for us that the path to reclaiming our identity isn't about following the rules in a slavish way following the rules just for the sake of following the rules see the rules are there and the rules are important but the rules aren't the be-all and the end-all the rules shape relationships the Ten Commandments isn't about an ethical code that says do this or don't do this and if you make a mistake I'll spank you the Ten Commandments and the whole law code for Israel was about how does this group of people frame its life together, living out its identity as part of God's created order in relationship to one another and relationship to God. How do we live out those relationships when they were an enslaved people, an enslaved people that didn't have the freedom to worship, to live to order their own life and society. They were under the, the thumb of Pharaoh. And the law is about, okay, we're free. Now how do we live as free people? The relationships and restoring and maintaining the relationships was always the first priority. And the rules were meant to serve the relationship. And yet... Today, it seems like that's been flipped on its head. The obsession with rule following, the obsession with scapegoating and blaming people for all of our fears, and truthfully, okay, there's places where blame can be assigned. But the reality is, is that none of us are pure because we, as Paul talks, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But this text implores us to set all of that aside, to set all of the fear, all of the uncertainty, all of the desire to, to control it all and to reclaim our place in relationship to one another and to God. And we do this work as Jesus reminded us, through the work of self-giving love. When we choose to love our neighbor as ourself, when we choose to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, that is the pathway. That is the pathway to reclaiming who we were created to be. That is how we proclaim good news with great joy to all of God's people. Amen. Amen.